Welcome to the Big Church Podcast. We are a church in Barrie, Ontario, Canada, and we hope you are blessed by this message. For more information, check out our website at bigchurch.cc. It's just, uh, it's, uh, it's not always the funnest thing to do, but just being able to rest in God's presence too, and just enjoy His goodness. Even if you can't worship fully shouting, God hears, and he loves it. You know, I was, um, uh, I want to recommend a book. I'm going through it right now, The Practice of the Presence of God. How many have have read this book Um, by Brother Lawrence? And um, it's a simple little book. Um, It was written uh, nearly 300 years. it's well in the 1600s is when he he wrote it so um you know it's over 300 years it's been published and this has been such a practical guide to walking in the presence of god and just walking with god daily and he was a simple man um he grew up very poor he grew up um, in a very challenging times in wartime. Um, he didn't have everything paved uh, really easy for him. Um, he was a, a clumsy guy, from what I read about him in his biography. Um, so he always had that challenge, and um, he just—he was a simple guy. But he, uh, when he was in war, um, at one point he was captured. And, um, and then there was a raid that was happened, uh, I don't know if it was in their city or their village, but it was, it was, it was quite tragic. Many of them died, he survived, but uh, he never talked about it. But he, um, from that point on, he made it his life's endeavor to lay everything before God and to live for him fully, because he just could not handle all of that that he had to face. And he made his whole life about pursuing the presence of God. And I'm going to read a couple of really practical things um, that he gives um, in terms of how to enter into the presence of God. And I think a lot of times we complicate um, the things of God. I think in a culture where, you know, we're so much about understanding everything and how it works and, and so much information, we lose the simplicity of just the wonder of God and just pursuing him for who he is, not having to always figure everything out, but to just enjoy who he is and, and, and draw on him. And so he was able to do that, and he, and he talks about some of his struggles. It's funny because a lot of these were, were letters, and he never, ever published a book. He just wrote letters to people. And he wrote letters about his experience to God. And even some of the letters are funny because he says, you know, I don't want you telling anyone this. Um, and he's writing it in the letter. <laughs> and they've published <laughs> all these letters that he wrote. And, um, you know, for hundreds of years, people have been uh, drawing. But, you know, it was such an intimate thing for him, the presence of God. And so, you know, that's why he wrote that. But it's helped many people come into the presence of God. And uh, I was going through, remember we were talking about a biblical worldview, and uh, we looked at creation, 
um, that we know that God created all things. Um, we looked at evil. That's part of a biblical worldview, that we understand that there is evil, that it came into the world through Satan, and that um, we subjected ourselves to uh, opening the door to sin, but God came and he rescued us. That's the, the, the third point of a worldview, is that God came and rescued us. He sent his son to redeem humanity and to restore creation to himself. And then the, this is the next part I want us to see, is that in a biblical worldview, God has given us a new life. The Bible says that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. All things have passed away, and all things have become new. So he's given us a new life, and he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit and the ability to be able to walk into that new life. And that's the fifth point of, the, of a biblical worldview, and that's what I want to touch on today, is walking into this newness of life, which is walking in the presence of God, walking close to God, living with him every single day, and not doing things for him, doing things with him. And that is a continual challenge. How many know that? It's continual. And, um, you know, it was just, we were camping this week, and uh, we had the grandkids. It was, it was a lot of fun. And um, we went to bed one night in the tent, and we were all in one big tent, right? And um, they were, we were just talking about God and how good he is, because we were outside and all the it was a beautiful day, and and just talking about God's goodness. And then, you know, I said, you know, we're gonna let's let's talk to God right now. And and my one granddaughter said, well, I, I don't know how to talk to him. You know, she was like all kind of. And I said, you just talk to him like you talk to a friend. And you got to know that God really loves you. All these beautiful things He made for you to enjoy, God loves you. And it made it easier for her to be able to pray. And then, then my grandson was like, uh, you know, he's praying real quiet. And he's just, pew, 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 pew. and I'm like, what are you praying? What are you praying? I'm, I'm asking God to forgive me for swearing. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because when you come into the presence of God, you know the things that you did wrong. But you can come to him with those things. And when you know he's good, and, and that he's loving and he's forgiving. Um, it makes it easy to be able to do those things. And so, um, you know, the greatest thing that we can give anyone is that we walked with God and we allowed people to see that and made it easy for, God to, for them to see how God could walk with them. Um, because religion makes it hard and difficult and a bunch of rules and regulations and makes it like this striving thing. It makes it like this thing that you have to measure up to a certain standard. When you walk with God, God brings you and lifts you. That's just part of the journey with God. God lifts us out of things. God draws us out of things. But he never, ever, you know, puts us in a place where he puts something on us that we cannot handle and we cannot walk in. And so, um, you know, being able to understand God, we have to understand, you know, his goodness. And um, Brother Lawrence really walked in that and understood it. But um, another thing that I was realizing when we were out 
is, you know, when you look at creation, the Bible says that we're without excuse. When we look at what God has created around us, God's attributes are, are seen in just creation. And I was reading a book that I've read a while back, and I pulled it out again because there was one part I, I really liked, and I, and I read it again, and I, I want to read it to you. How many have seen little bees flying around? I think, oh, it's a bee, but how many know with God, nothing is just a simple little thing? God is so complex and so amazing in, in what he does. And we, we'll just see a little bee, but God has put a whole thing together through this bee. And I want to just talk to you, uh, share about the honeybee, because the, the thing that I've realized when you look at creation, God makes all this work, and it works in such profound ways. I was reading about the dolphin. Do you know that they figured, they've engineered submarines and all the different things about submarines, modeling after a dolphin? The layers of how they, the outer layers of how the container holds it, they, they modeled it after the three layers in a dolphin, the, 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 um, the nose on a dolphin. They followed that same for, for submarines. They, they followed a lot of things that God created already and knew it would work to get maximum speed. Have you ever seen a dolphin in the water? They are so fast. We swam with them one, one time when we were in uh, Jamaica, was it? And I think we did it in the Dominic. But um, they were like way over there, and all of a sudden the guy says, whistles, and like within seconds, it was right up right here. And like they, it could kill you just from, from hitting you because of the speed. But they have such control and such speed, and God created them to be able to do that in an awesome way, and man has modeled that to be able to make submarines. But, but God was the original designer. But the honeybee is an absolute wonder of God's creation. Bees construct their hive into a com complex honeycomb structure using beeswax produced from their own bodies to house a colony of up to 75,000 bees. All honeycombs found in the hive and in all hives throughout the world are constructed to the same precise engineering specifications. Isn't that cool? Bees in China, bees in Italy, wherever in the world, they all do it the same. Isn't that awesome? That's the master engineer God. The hexagonal structure of the honeycomb has in Intrigued scientists for, for centuries because mathematicians have calcula calculated that it is the best possible geometric structure to maximize storage. It is the most efficient storage structure possible and uses the least amount of beeswax in its construction because each cell utilizes the walls of the surrounding cells. The honeycomb is constructed with cells inclined precisely 13 degrees on two sides to prevent the honey from escaping the mouth of the cell. One of the most astonishing aspects of a hive is that the tens of thousands of worker bees simultaneously be begin construction of their hive from three different starting points and directions. The completed hive has thousands of individual cells that are precisely joined together with hundreds of separate angles, forming a perfectly engineered 
hexagonal comb structure that rivals anything produced by computers and human engineers. To have the final structure so perfectly engineered, the bees would have to know at the very beginning and throughout the construction the precise distances between each starting point and adjust the construction accordingly. However, it would take a computer to do the same calculation. However, it would take a computer to do the same calculations. Engineers have wondered how the bees can possibly accomplish this marvel of construction. The only logical conclusion is that the tens of thousands of bees are receiving instructions from a single source, the creator. Isn't that awesome? The social organization of the bee colony involves different groups of bees following entirely different duties to serve the hive. One group of worker bees stays at the entrance and fans their wings to uh, ventilate the hive and maintain the proper humidity and keep the temperature at precisely 95 degrees Fahrenheit. If the hive temperature rises or lowers more than a few degrees, the precious honey will spoil and lose its nutritional qualities. Some worker bees are tasked with protecting the hive from the contamination from harmful bacteria and other insects. As soon as the guardian bees detect a problem, they alert the rest of the hive to begin a mass attack on the intruder. If any intruder actually succeeds in getting into the hive and is too large to remove, the worker bees actually embalm the object with their very effective antibacterial bee resin to protect the integrity of the colony. The bees collect flower nectar during the summer months and combine this with the chemicals secreted from their body to produce honey, one of the most perfect foods on earth. When, when, you've, when I finish reading this, you're gonna to wanna to go home and eat honey. <clears throat> the bee marks the flower that it has visited with a small drop of scent that tells every other bee to ignore it as the pollen is already consumed. This unusual action is very efficient because it saves other bees from wasting time on an empty flower. The bee le locates pollen from the flowers in an area of up to half a mile from the hive. The bee that finds the flowers returns to the hive to let its fellow workers know precisely where they must fly to locate the food source. Incredibly, rather than lead the others back, the bee instructs the other bees where to find the pollen through the means of a very complex dance. <laughs> Biologists have determined that the precise information regarding the direction, distance, and amount of pollen is conveyed to other bees through a repeated zigzag dance following a figure eight pattern. The precise line between the sun's position and the hive and the angle between the zigzags of the dancing bee provides the exact location of the food source. <laughs> Isn't that cool? God even makes bees dance. Other body movements include wagging its bottom and producing air currents through wing movements. For example, to communicate to the other bees that the pollen is located 500 yards from the hive, the bee will wag the bottom of its body uh, 20 times per minute. There is an apparent problem in providing precise orientation to the other bees in that during the time taken by the bee to fly home to the hive, the sun's position keeps changing. Every four minutes, the sun moves one degree of, of longitude. 
However, the bee has remarkable eyes composed of hundreds of microscopic hexagonal lenses that focus on a narrow beam, enabling the bee to identify the sun's position based on the time of day. As the minutes pass, the bee alters its precise dance to adjust its instructions to compensate for the sun's movement. Experiments that upset the bee's time sense uh, sense by altering its inter internal clock with artificial light changes light changes prove that this also interfered with its ability to calculate the sun's correct position. Only the creator could have formed such a masterpiece of engineering. God's gift to mankind, honey, is one of the most complex foods produced in nature. The primary components of honey are sugars, including fructose, glucose. It also contains vitamin B1, B2, B3, B5, B6, and C, as well as minerals including calcium, sodium, chlorine, sulfur, phosphate, magnesium, potassium, and iron. The products of the honeybee are remarkable in their nutritional and disease-fighting powers. It is well known that the honey, bee resin, and royal jelly are all extremely helpful in the cure of many diseases. It is very unusual that the bees that use honey for a food source for the bee colony during the cold months of winter actually produce a great abundance of honey far beyond their own needs. Why? It appears that this overproduction is part of the Creator's plan to provide a perfect food source for humanity. This phenomenon of overproduction beyond the species' own needs is also seen in cows that produce amounts of milk far beyond that needed for its calves, and we also see this in chickens, which daily lay eggs. Isn't that awesome? How many know and think you could trust God? If he can do that with just a simple bee, and he can, you know, set a whole plan in place, so complex and so complicated, and yet set it in motion. He can set things in motion and is setting things in motion even for us now. And it's so awesome to be able to take these times. This book's called Creation by Grant. Jeffries, if you want to, it's a great book. Just uh, brings out all kinds of really good things about God and God's remarkable evidence of his design. But um, for me, I find that resting in those things, it gives me a basis to be able to build trust greater for everything in my life in walking with God. Because trusting God and drawing from God's presence, how many know it? There's all kinds of things that try to shipwreck you from, from getting into that place with God and just drawing from his presence. There's so many challenges that, that attack us continually. And um, Brother, Brother Lawrence here was not void of the struggle. And I love in his writings because he, he, shares, um, he shares the struggle, but he walks you through it. And... Um, I'm reading it because this is like sitting down with Brother Lawrence and talking to him. That's what I love about books. You can take someone that has walked through something that God has done, and if they put it in a book, 
when you're reading that book, it's like them sitting down with you and telling you this is what God did. And it's literally as if they were there. And so he's talking about um, um, his getting close to God and drawing on the presence of God. And he says here, I haven't followed any particular steps in my own spiritual growth. Now, you have to understand, he's living in a time when everything was structured, everything was, the whole religious system was definitely all about rules, regulations. This was in the 1600s. And everything was on about works and about all kinds of, um, uh, you know, penance and all of these things where it was all about works and it was all about, you know, earning your way to God. So he's saying here, I, I didn't follow any particular steps in my own spiritual growth. On the contrary, I found methods to be discouraging. How many have found methods to be discouraging? My intent at the beginning of my Christian walk was to give myself to God all at once. How many? <laughs> Been there, done that. It's like, you just, you know. I did this out of love for him because I wanted to pay for my sins and renounce everything that offended him. My first prayers were about death, judgment, hell, heaven, and my sins. This went on for several years. When I wasn't praying... I kept myself carefully in God's presence, even while I was working. I knew he was always near me in the deepest part of my heart. This gave me such great respect for God that I was content with faith alone. And so I continued to pray this way, which gave me enormous peace and joy. During the first 10 years, however, I worried that my walk with the Lord wasn't good enough. Because I couldn't forget my past sins, I felt very guilty when I thought of all the, the grace he had shown me. During this time, I used to fall often and then get up again. It seemed that everything, even God, was against me and that only faith was on my side. Sometimes I believed I felt this way because I was trying to show at the beginning of my walk the same maturity had taken other Christians years to achieve. Sometimes it got so bad that I thought I was on my way to hell, willfully offending God, and that there was no salvation for me. Anyone felt that struggle at, at some point in your walk? Thankfully, these worries did not weaken my faith in God, but actually made it stronger. When I finally reached the point where I expected the rest of my life to be very difficult, I suddenly found myself wholly changed. My soul, which had always been troubled, finally came to rest in a profound inner peace. Since that time, I have been serving God simply in humility and faith. Out of love, I try not to say, or to say, do, or think anything that might offend him. My only request is that he do whatever he pleases with me. I feel unable to express what is going on inside me right now. I am not anxious about my purpose in life because I only want to do God's will. I wouldn't 
even lift a straw from the ground against his order or for any other motive than love for him. Pure love for him is all that keeps me going. I have given up all but my intercessory prayers to focus my attention on remaining in his holy presence. I keep my attention on God in a simple, loving way. This is my soul's secret experience of the actual unceasing presence of God. It gives me such contentment and joy that I sometimes feel compelled to do childish things to control it. To sum up, kind sir, I am sure that my soul has been with God for more than 30 years. I consider God my king against whom I have committed all sorts of crimes. Confessing my sins to him and asking him to forgive me, I place myself in his hands to do whatever pleases he pleases with me. This king, who is full of goodness and mercy, doesn't punish me. Rather, he embraces me lovingly and invites me to eat at his table. He serves me himself, and he gives me the keys to his treasury, treating me as his favorite. He converses with me without mentioning my sins or my forgiveness. My former habits are seemingly forgotten. Although I beg him to do whatever he wishes with me, he does nothing but caress me. This is what being in his holy presence is like. My day-to-day -day life consists of giving God my simple, loving attention. If I'm distracted, he calls me back in tones that are supernaturally beautiful. If you think of me, remember the grace with which God has blessed me rather than my typical human nature. My prayers consist of a simple continuation of this same exercise. Sometimes I imagine that I'm a piece of stone waiting for the sculptor. When I give myself to God this way, he begins sculpting my soul into the perfect image of his beloved son. At other times, I feel my whole mind and heart being raised up into God's presence, as if without effort, they had always belonged there. Some people may consider this attitude self-deceptive, but I cannot permit it to be called deception, since in this state of enjoying God, I desire nothing but his presence. If I'm deceiving myself, the Lord will have to remedy it. I want him to do whatever he pleases with me. All I want is to be completely his. Amen. Isn't that awesome? So simple and so profound. And the, the amazing thing about uh, Brother Lawrence is although he was simple, he worked in a kitchen for, for many years, um, just did a lot of very, he was, uh, at one point, he was a footman for, uh, and he was a clumsy footman. Um, you know, so he struggled in life with different things, but he 
kept God's presence in the midst of everything he did. And scholars and different ones that were, were, were definitely considered more educated and religious um, than him would be drawn to him because he just carried the presence of God and talked about his walk with God in such a simple way that it, they were drawn to that and they, they were, were captivated by what he carried. And this is what I, I think in, in the, these times that we're going through and the times that we're going to be coming into, I don't think, you know, we realize the magnitude of the ripple effect of things that are happening. But in the midst of all that's coming, you know, that we're drawing from God's presence, that we're carriers of his presence, that we are practicing the presence of God is the greatest thing that we can give our generation, is that we are walking in this and we are carrying this because this is what is going to be needed more than anything else out there. It's not going to be um, our brains that they're going to need. It can help, but it's going to be what we walk in and what we carry every single day. And so he... He gives some practical steps on um, how to do this in your everyday walk. And uh, again, very practical. So, um, how many know, though, the simplest, most practical things can sometimes be very, very challenging? It's when we have to put it and we practice it, and we're like, okay, now I'm facing this situation. Oh, how do I walk in the presence of God in this? And he talks about the struggle in here, and, and I like it because it's so, it's so real and genuine. So he says here, practices for necessary, um, that are necessary to acquire the spiritual life. So number one, the most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons and at every moment without limiting the conversation in any way. This is especially important in times of temptation, sorrow, separation from God, and even in times of unfaithfulness and sin. And you know, um, what I appreciate in, in many of his letters, I can't, of course, read all of them, but he talks about how in the midst of your struggle, that you can know that God's there and you can still draw from his presence. So many times we think we, we feel separated and we don't understand that he's a father who understands his child's struggle. He understands that we're, we're dealing with unfaithfulness in this area or we're dealing with sin in a certain area. He's not pointing a finger. He's looking and he's wanting to draw us out of that. And so we need to pursue his presence Number two, he says, we must try to converse with God in little ways while we do our work, not in memorized prayer, not trying to recite previously formed thoughts. Rather, we should purely and simply reveal our hearts as the words come to us. And again, we're talking about a time when people recited prayers and it was very ritualistic. But I think for our day, our biggest struggle is, I didn't do my prayer time this morning, and I'll do it another time. Instead of pausing in the moment of your day, pausing right there and reflecting on God, reflecting on his goodness, drawing on who he is, 
Um, you know, you don't even need to have 50 verses that you're memorizing. You know, so many times we, we put all these things before us, but it's just stopping, pausing, saying, God, thank you. I found the thankfulness is one of the things that, you know, just thanking God for all of the things that are in front of us. We take for granted so much. And being thankful of the things that are in front of us that are happening all the time, it keeps God in the center because we recognize that this life is a gift and that everything that God has done, we can enjoy because of his goodness. So many times we think, I deserve this. It's mine. And it's like everything that we have is a gift from God. And we need, to, we need to acknowledge that. That's one of the ways that we can draw his presence into every situation. Number three, he says, we, we, do, we must do everything with great care, avoiding impetuous actions, which are evidence of a disordered spirit. God wishes us to work gently, calmly, and lovingly with him, asking him to accept our work, by the continual attention to God, we will resist the devil and cause him to flee. Whatever we do, even if we are reading the word of God or praying, we should stop for a few moments as often as possible to praise God from the depths of our hearts, to enjoy him there in secret. Since you believe that God is always with you, no matter what you, you may be doing, why shouldn't you stop for a while to adore him, to praise him, to petition him, to offer him your heart, and to thank him? What could please God more than for us to leave the cares of this world temporarily in order to worship him in our spirits? These momentary retreats serve to free us from our selfishness, which can only exist in the world. In short, we cannot show God our loyalty. We, in short, we cannot show God our loyalty to him more than by renouncing our worldly selves as much as a thousand times a day to enjoy a single moment with him. This doesn't mean you must leave the duties of the world forever. That would be impossible. Let prudence be your guide. But I do believe that it is a common mistake of spirit-filled persons not to leave the cares of the world from time to time to praise God in their spirits and to rest in the peace of his divine presence for a few moments. And I find that's one of our biggest things that we, we live in a noisy generation. There is noise everywhere. It's coming from the internet. It's coming from everything. I mean, kind of you get... Ding, 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 ding. And it's like we, we, you're running on adrenaline. You know that. Every time you hear that ding, what's the first? Who is it? Who is it? It's like that adrenaline, that adrenaline. You know, kids now, what do they want to watch? They want to watch surprise things where they don't know what's going to happen. But this package is unfolding. And so it's like they're feeding off of that ad adrenaline. And then God's saying, pause. Wait on me. Rest. God's not in the... You know, in the ding, 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 ding. He's not in that. God is, be still and know that I am God. That's where he's unchanging. And he wants us to take those pauses. And we have to 
God's something God's not going to change. He's not going to enter into the rat race. He is going to remain who he is in the midst of it. And we as his people have to carry something different. And it, it's go, it takes work. It takes work, and it's, it's something that we walk through every day. But it's taking those pauses, like he says, and allowing not the world to dictate, but allowing ourselves to rest in him. He says, our adoration of God should be done in faith, believing that he really lives in our hearts and that he must be loved and served in spirit and in truth. Believe that he is the most independent one upon whom all of us depend and that he is aware of everything that happens to us. Amen? That's so important. The Lord's perfections are truly beyond measure by his infinite excellence and his sovereign place as both creator and savior. He has the right to possess us and all that exists in both heaven and earth. It should be his good pleasure to do with each of us whatever he chooses through all time and eternity. Because of all he is to us, we owe him our thoughts, words, and actions. So let us earnestly endeavor to do this. We must carefully examine ourselves to see which virtues are the most are in most need of and which we find the hardest to acquire. We should also take note of the sins that we most frequently fall into and what occasions often contribute to that fall. It is in our times of struggle with these areas that we can go before God with entire confidence and remain firm in the pre presence of his divine majesty. In humble adoration, we must confess to him our sins and weaknesses, lovingly asking for help of his grace in our time of need. In this way, we will find that we can partake of all the virtues found in him, even though we do not possess one of them on our own. Amen. So simple, but so profound. And I find that it's these practical things that right now in, the, in this time, it seems like, you know, a lot of things were put on pause. These are the types of things that God wants to work on in our lives. He's slowing things down. And I know that a lot of us have been walking through these things, but I believe God is preparing us so that when things come, we are walking in something different. Amen. We're drawing from his presence. So the worship team can come because we're going to take some time to just draw from his presence today. But I want us to um, rest in God's goodness. I'm finding for me with worship, worship is a, a thing that I do. You know, I end up doing it here, but I do it at home. I do it because I love 
to be in the presence of God, and worship brings us into that place. Um, it just draws us into adoring who He is and drawing us into those things that He has. And so when we're worshiping, I want us to just rest in his goodness. If, it, if it's a challenge for you to sing with the mask on, then don't sing. Just listen to the words and draw from his presence. Because the more important thing is that you're drawing from who he is and that you're entering in. But I want us to just uh, allow ourselves, just if you can play well in Thank you for joining us today. We pray that this message has truly blessed your life. For more information, go to bigchurch.cc.